to Esther chapter 7. Esther chapter 7. Page 327, if you're using the Bibles there in the chairs. <clears throat> Esther chapter 7. <clears throat> the other day, uh, Melanie and I were driving down the freeway, and she was just talking away, explaining something to me, and I must have had a stupid look on my face. And I get those, I get those often, okay? But I must have had a stupid look on my face because she looked at me and she said, you don't understand what I'm talking about, do you? And I looked at her with all the honesty I could muster. I said, yeah, it's about as clear as mud. <laughs> I just, I had, you know, I don't honestly remember if my mind was somewhere else or more than light. Yeah, she's shaking her head. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, but I had no clue what she's talking about. Just, y- 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 y'all know what I mean? Okay, there, there are times <clears throat> just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you're a man, yeah, you're in trouble. <clears throat> I just threw you under the bus. I, I read an interesting story recently about uh, uh, General Douglas MacArthur when he was at, at West Point. He tells the story, he says, uh, the, uh, the first section was studying the time-space relationship later formulated by Einstein in his theory of relativity. The text was complex, and I, uh, and being unable to comprehend it, I committed the pages to memory. When I was called upon to recite it, I solemnly reeled off almost word for word what the book said. Our instructor, Colonel uh, uh, Fiber, uh, looked, at, uh, looked at me somewhat uh, Uh, quizzically and asked this question. He said, do you understand this theory? It was a bad moment for me, MacArthur said. But I did not hesitate in my reply. No, sir. You could could have heard a pin drop. And I braced myself and waited. Then the slow words of the professor... Neither do I, MacArthur. (laughs) I like that. You know, there are times in our lives, truthfully, there are times in our lives uh, that we we encounter uh, situations and and things and we ask a a few questions. I I wrote wrote down a few questions that we ask. At least least I ask myself these questions. Why do I have to go through this? Have y'all ever asked that question? Okay. Uh, or, or here's another one. Uh, how am I going to endure? You know, uh, we've all been there too, I think. Uh, here's another one. Uh, I see nothing profitable in this. That, that's one of my favorites. You know, that's, a, that's you telling God what's best for you. That, you know, I, I, it's a little on the stupid side, but anyway. Um, what in the world am I supposed to learn? I remember one time back many years ago, I was in the middle of God teaching me a, a big lesson. And, and I remember praying this prayer, God, help me through this lesson quickly. 
Yeah, it didn't work out too good. Yeah, <laughs> but there are times in our lives, honestly, that that we go through life, and life is as clear as mud. Am I right? And then there are times that, as we go through life, that that everything just kind of makes sense. It's it's clear. It makes sense what God's doing in our lives. In chapter 7 of the book of Esther, God starts to um, clear up the muddy water, if you would. Uh, Things are starting, in in chapter 6, God started putting all these these pieces together, and and he, he had warning signs for Haman, and and, and all of the all of the pieces started to come together, but chapter seven is where it really starts to become clear what God is doing. And and uh, the title of my message is "All Things Become Clear." And 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 the the reality is this: if we are patient enough and willing to let God work in our lives, eventually all things become clear. Not necessarily, in fact, very seldom on our timetable but always on his timetable. Let's read chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. So the king and Haman came to the banquet uh, with Esther the queen, and the king said again unto Esther on the second day at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee, and what is thy request? And it shall be performed even to the half of, of the kingdom. And Esther the queen answered and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me and, and, and my petition and my people at my request. For we are sold I and my people to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. But if we had been sold as bondsmen and bondswomen, I had been and had uh, I had held my uh, tongue, although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. Let's pray, dear Heavenly Father. I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for your love. Thank you for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I ask, I beg you to, to meet with us this morning and speak to our hearts and, and help us, dear God, to get a vision of what you're going to do in our lives. Help us, dear God, to walk with you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So far we have seen God move in the background, putting all the pieces of the puzzle together, if you would. And, and <clears throat> last week, again, we, we saw the, the warning signs that God gave Haman that he needed to, to repent and, and get, get going, uh, uh, get, get right with God, if you would, or, or at least turn to God. But there's, a, there's, an important, there's an important thing here that oftentimes we miss. And, and, and it's, it's not obvious, it, it's, it's kind of reading between the lines here, but there's an important side note of all the mistakes that Haman made, there was one mistake that he made 
that was worse than all the rest. And that is misunderstanding the long-suffering of God. Misunderstanding, misunderstanding the long-suffering of God. See, because of God's love for mankind, He is long-suffering for mankind. And, and, and Haman thought, because God had not punished him, that he, he had allowed Haman to do all these wicked things, that, 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 that God wasn't going to punish him. And Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse, verse 11 says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the Son of men is is fully set in them to do evil. See, mankind has this bad habit of thinking, well, God hasn't punished me. I can get away with what I want to do. We're told here in Ecclesiastes that 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 may be true, but God is long suffering. And God God loves mankind. And God wants to give each of us as many chances to get right with him as as possible and Haman misunderstood that and and uh, and and didn't understand the long suffering of God men today make the same mistake second peter chapter 3 verse 9 the lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us who are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, God's desire is that all men repent. And he is going to give mankind, every person who's ever walked the face of the earth, as many opportunities as possible to repent. Have you ever thought this, this, this thought? in reference to someone who is a wicked person, somebody who's alive maybe even today, why hasn't God killed that individual? Why is God allowing that individual to still hurt people? And the answer to that is because he loves them. Does he love what they do? Absolutely not. It grieves his heart. But he loves mankind so much that he sent his son to die for mankind so that mankind could reconcile with an almighty God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1-3 through 3, but, of, but of the times <clears throat> and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord uh, so cometh as a thief, thief in the night. For when uh, they shall say peace and safety, please get this, when the world says peace and safety, then suddenly destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. See, God is long-suffering. God, God loves mankind. But He's also just and holy and righteous. 
please, please do not mistake the long-suffering of God as being weakness like Haman did. All things become clear. Point number one this morning. That that was a kind of a, a sermon within a sermon for you there, by the way. I that was you know, that was just like a side note. <clears throat> number one, uh, let's look at the Queen's request. The Queen's request. Here in chapter seven, for the third time the king <clears throat> makes uh, 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 an interesting statement. We, we've not talked about it the first two times, so I want to talk about it this time. Uh, it says, uh, And what is thy request? And it shall be performed even to the half of my kingdom. Now, now, honestly, do you think that the king would have given the queen half of his kingdom? Okay, no, that's it's really not it, no. Basically what he's... Okay, basically what he's saying is, I'll give you anything you want. It, 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 but but th- there's no way in the world the king's going to give away half his kingdom. Okay, especially to a female back in, 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 that, in, that, in, that, in that day. Um, <clears throat> but what he was trying to say is that, you know what? Anything you want, I'll give it to you. Now, <clears throat> how many of you that are married, men... How many of you have ever uh, said to your wife, sweetie, you can have anything that you want? Now, I have done that, and, and I've meant it when I've said it, okay? Um, it, but she knows what our bank account is, so, you know. <clears throat> but, but when we say things like that, do we not expect a monetary answer? You know, a new car, a bigger house. Uh, you, you know, I, I'm sure I'm sure Esther wanted a new car. Uh, you, you know, I'm sure that was what she wanted. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but you know, so I, I can't I can't help but wonder if the king in his mind was thinking, okay, what is it that you want monetarily? What what is the what? How much? In other words, how much is this going to cost me? Okay, how many of you men have said that? <laughs> my, I hate it when my wife says, "Hey, I have a, I have an idea." And and whenever she says that, I see dollar signs. Am I right? Okay. <laughs> and 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 trust me, my wife is not the the spendy kind of person. She she is very very frugal. So if she has an idea, it's usually a good idea. Uh, that doesn't cost very much, but still. Uh, but anyway, so that, that had to have been what, what's going on here. But see, the king makes this statement and says, basically, hey, you can have whatever you want. Now, we have a New Testament equivalent of this statement made by Ahasuerus here at Esther. The New Testament equivalent happens in Mark chapter 6, verses 23 to 26. The king says the same thing and lives to regret it. So we need so we can learn a lesson here. We need to be careful what we what we say for one thing. But in Mark chapter 6 verse 23 and following it says, uh, and he sware unto her, this is his stepdaughter, whatsoever thou ask of me, I will give it thee uh, uh, unto half the half of my kingdom. And there's that statement again. 
Okay, he doesn't he doesn't literally mean that, but that's it's just a statement. Uh, and and she went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came and straightway with haste and unto the king and asked and, and saying, uh, I will that thou give me by and by in the charger the head of John the Baptist. And the king was exceedingly sorry. See, sometimes we, f- we live to f- regret, do we not? The foolish statements that we make. Yet for his oath's sake, and for the for their sake, which sat with him, he would not reject her, and he sent out his executioner, and killed John the Baptist, and delivered his head on a platter. See, we need to be careful. We need to be very, very careful. What we promise, and here the king is opening himself up, and I want to look at some of what Esther is saying in this passage here. One of the first things that she does is reveal that she's not Persian. Okay, and this is a big deal because she's the queen of Persia and she's not Persian. So she reveals that to the king, which which in itself could be uh, a major issue. Then she also reveals that there is a well, uh, let me back up again. She reveals that she's not Persian, but she does not necessarily reveal that she's Jewish either. Okay, she's still kind of holding back that little little tidbit. But then she reveals the plan that, that her and her people are, are slated to be destroyed. And, but she makes an interesting statement. She says in verse, in verse 4, she says that, you know, hey, if my people, uh, me and my people had been sold into slavery, I wouldn't, we wouldn't be having this conversation. You know, uh, I, I, can, I can live with being a slave, but the problem is my, me and my people have been slated to die. And then she says something in verse 4 that, is is incredibly um, brave of her. Let's let's read verse four again. <clears throat> verse four. It says, uh, f- "For uh, we are w- for we are sold, uh, I and my people, uh, to be destroyed, uh, uh, to be slain, and to perish. But if we had been sold for bondsmen and bondswomen." I had held my tongue. But get this, this last sentence there. Although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. What did she do? She, at the, the very last statement here, she sticks her bony little finger in the king's face and says, it's your fault. Now, I don't know if you understand the culture of the Persian Empire at the time. Number one, women were second-class citizens at best. At best. And here, she is accusing not Haman, 
but the king for what is happening to her people. At that moment, the king could have had her executed on the spot. But for whatever reason, he doesn't. I personally believe he was, this. when she says this, he's caught off guard so bad that he's, 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 He's not he's not reacting in his normal his normal self. Point number two. Let's look at the king's reaction here very quickly. Verse five. <clears throat> and the king uh, Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he? Well, she just told him who who it is. Who is he and where is he that does uh, uh, perform, uh, 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 excuse me, presume in his heart to do so? And Esther said that the adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. And the queen and the king arose, uh, arising uh, from the banquet of wine and his wrath went into the palace garden and Haman stood stood up and uh, made request of his life to Queen Esther uh, for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king uh, then the king returned out of the palace garden into the uh, <coughs> palace of the banquet of wine and Haman was fallen uh, <coughs> excuse me upon the bed where whereon Esther was then said the king, Will he force the queen also before me in the house? And the, as the words went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. The king's reaction. See, she had just told him, Hey, you're the one responsible. But he didn't want to take ownership of it. Let's look at the king's reaction here for just a second. The king was absolutely furious, as you can imagine. He loved it. He loved Esther. It was his queen. And he finds out that Haman is trying to kill the queen and her people. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about the importance of controlling our temper. Uh, back years ago, uh, I'm not proud to admit it, but there was a time in my life where I had a really, really bad temper. And God, God has helped me with that through the years, and, and hopefully I'm not near as bad as I was. And a lot of it, a lot of my work on my temper uh, came from this verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 9 says, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of what? Fools. I realized every time I lost my temper, guess what? I classified myself as a fool. But like, <clears throat> but like most people, uh, immediately look for a scapegoat. What do we do? We lose our temper 
and then we blame others. Is that not what the king just did? She told him, you're the one did it. It it, it was your ring that sealed the deal, basically. But what does he do? He says, okay, who did it and where is he? See, he had no clue. He had no clue what the number two man in the kingdom had done. We, we today call this blame shifting. We are masters. We, I think 21st century Americans have mastered the art of blame shifting. We're, we're, we are really, really good at it. But I personally don't believe that Haman figured out that Esther was a Jew until verse 6. Let's read verse 6. It said, And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. What's the next word? Then. That's when it all hit home. I think prior to that, Haman is like, Okay, what is she talking about? Okay, what's going on? And then when the king says, Okay, who is it? Who is the enemy? She says, It's Haman. How many times in our lives have we done stupid things and then we've thought we've gotten away with it? I, I, I remember when I was a kid, I <laughs> anyway, I don't want to get into detail, but anyway, I got suspended from, from school. I was in junior high and <clears throat> I got suspended for, for three days for, for, well, I won't tell you, it's not important. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yeah, misconduct, there you go. Uh, but anyway, I got suspended from school, and and uh, <clears throat> it, it was on a it was on a Friday. No, was that on a Friday? No, it was on a it was on a Thursday. So I met, I had I missed Friday and then Monday and Tuesday. So so I just didn't go to school on Friday. You know, my mom and dad went to work. They didn't know I was home all day. So I thought I'd gotten away with it. Well. And Saturday comes along, and we're sitting around the house, and my my uh, my mom says, "Hey, Rick, run down and get the mail." Because I, I I don't know if she heard the mailman or what, but so I I ran down, got the mail, brought it back up, and never thought to look in in the mail. <laughs> well, there was a letter from the school, and. You know, I didn't look in the mail because, you know, I'm a kid. I never get mail, you know. So anyway, uh, my mom my mom just very nonchalantly, jokingly says, oh, what's this? Did you get suspended or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah you, you know, you could have, yeah, my heart fell down into my toes. I wanted, I, you know how you get lightheaded and you, everything starts spinning? You know? That's kind of how I think Haman felt. She stuck her finger at him and said, it's you. Needless to say, my mom and dad were not happy. Um, but anyway, but fear and panic gripped his heart. Dr. Goldman, a Jewish theologian, made this statement. I found it to be very appropriate. He said, the arrogant bully became 
as usual, in the face of disaster, a whining coward. The anger of the king was obvious to Haman. He was he got up, stormed out of the room. Uh, <clears throat> Haman was not a great man of character. He was a midget puffed up with pride. Think about that for a minute. See, <clears throat> there's a couple of lessons that we can learn just, just from that event. And n- number one is we are under pressure uh, what we are down deep inside. When, when the pressure is turned up, what comes out is who we really are. And Haman here, the, 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 the pressure was turned up and, and what came out was a, really a coward. See, and there are times, the second thing we can learn out of this is the fact that, you know, there are times that God will turn up the pressure in our lives on purpose to see who comes out. Unfortunately, none of us enjoy those events. But at the same time, it's those things that God can use in our lives to grow us and to make us into godly individuals. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28 says, He uh, that uh, hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. You know, back when... Solomon wrote this uh, proverb, uh, a city without walls was basically defenseless. Anybody could just, any army could just walk in and, and take what they wanted. And, what, and, and the, the, the parallel that he's doing here is, is <clears throat> when we do not control our own spirits, Satan can have his way in our lives. Satan can come and go and, and, and do what he wants in our lives because we don't have the character to stand up and, and do right. But in our story here, back, in, back to our story, there's an interesting paradox that, that is taking place here that I wanted to, to, to point out. Haman was furious at the Jews, more, more specifically Mordecai, because Mordecai would not bow down to him. But now that the tables are turned, what do we see him doing? Not only do we see him bowing down to a Jew, but a Jewish female. Again, you've got to understand the culture. This goes against everything. This goes this this was something that would never have happened. But Haman was so scared for his life that he quote unquote lowered himself to the point where he would beg for his life to a Jewish woman. Think how desperate that man must have been. Verse 8 I find very interesting as well because, again, going back to the culture, the 
promiscuity in the culture was, was rampant. But there was one law that was kind of there that I, I found was interesting, and that is that molesting the queen was a capital offense. Now, again, promiscuity was in, in, in people's lives was, was rampant, but you didn't touch the queen. Look at, look at verse 8 and watch the reaction of the guards. And then the king returned of the palace garden into the place of, of the banquet of wine, and Haman was fallen upon the bed uh, whereon Esther was. Then said the king, now get these words, Wilt thou force the queen also before me in the house? Now, look at the guards. How do they react? As the words went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. He had to say nothing. All he had to do was say, you molested my queen. That was instant death right there. The guards didn't even have to ask. They went straight to him, covered his head, and dragged him out. Needless to say, Haman <clears throat> was in big trouble. Let's look at verse 9 and 10, and we'll see Haman's reward. Point number three, Haman's reward, uh, verses 9 and 10. Then Harbanah, one of the chamberlain, said before the king, Behold, also the gallows uh, 50 cubits, or 75 feet high, is equivalent to the 50 cubits, which Haman made, <clears throat> had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows, which he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath was pacified. Apparently, <clears throat> Haman had bragged uh, to people in the palace that he had had this gallows prepared because this guy immediately knew about it, told the king about it, and the king wasted no time having Haman executed that very night. Last week we talked about a verse that I want to talk about again this morning because I believe it is critical to our thinking. Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11 says, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die? See, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It grieves the heart of God when anybody dies without Christ. We look at this story, and I, I remember the first time that I read this story back many, many years ago, I, I thought, yes, he got what he deserved. And we tend to get this, this sense of, 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 I don't know what the word is, but anyway, you know what I'm talking about. 
but in reality it grieves the heart of God. Did he get what he deserved? Yes, I believe he did. But did it make God happy? No, it didn't. See, God is not happy, nor does heaven cheer when a wicked when the wicked die. But if you want to see God happy and you want to see heaven have a party, <clears throat> you have to go to Luke chapter 15, verse 10. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. That's what make God, makes God happy, not the death of the wicked. I want to I want to kind of take a little side trip here and and and, and talk about a very uh, important biblical principle that we're seeing play out in the book of Esther. <clears throat> it is found in Galatians chapter six verse seven. Do not be deceived; God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The principle, the biblical principle, we call sowing and reaping. Now, the law of sowing and reaping has five basic rules. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, you have a law. Uh, kind of like the laws of thermal dynamics and all that stuff. The, the law of sowing and reaping is, is a law that is set forth by God that will always happen. There is no variance. And there are five rules attached to this law. The first one is we reap only what has been sown. The second one is, we reap the same kind as we sow. Number three, we reap in a different season than we sow. Number four, we reap more than we sow, and we reap in proportion to what we sow. Five very important principles, and we're actually going to be talking about this again tonight in a little bit more detail but there are two categories within these five rules. The first one is the seed. What kind of seed do you sow in your life? See, the seed is critical. Uh, the, the seed, if you, if, again, I, 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 I am not a farmer. I grew up in, in the concrete jungle of L.A., okay? <clears throat> I, I do not... I am not a farmer. I, 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 I don't do well with that stuff. <clears throat> now, my wife, on the other hand, has the green thumb. She can make anything grow. Me, I kill everything. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, I do know this, that if I take, and, and Mike taught me this, if I take a seed, a corn, a corn thing of corn, and I plant it, I can, I can be guaranteed that corn will grow. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, if I take, uh, what, what else did you have? You had uh, tomatoes, right? Okay. Uh, if, if you take a tomato seed and put it in the ground, what's going to grow? Tomatoes. 
And the reality is this: the first, the first two rules of the, the of the law of sowing and reaping is what you plant is what you're going to get. And if you plant hate, guess what you're going to get? If you plant patience, what are you going to get? If you plant anger, it's self-explanatory. But the problem is we want to plant what we want to plant but we expect other things to grow. Am I right? We want to be angry people, but we expect everybody else to be patient with us. It doesn't work that way. We want, we want to, to plant selfishness, but we expect everybody to be kind to us. What did Haman do? Haman planted hatred. And he was surprised when he got back hatred. See, this this law of sowing and reaping is unavoidable. We, We cannot avoid it. There is nothing we can do in our lives to avoid the law of sowing and reaping. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 18, The wicked worketh in deceitful ways, but to him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. Jacob killed an animal and lied to his father, uh, pretending to be Esau in Genesis chapter 27. Think about this. He killed an animal, wrapped it around his arm, the, the skin, lied to his father, but then expected his family to be honest with him. But what happened? His own sons killed an animal, took the blood from that animal, put it on Joseph's coat, and then lied to their father about their brother. You get what you sow. The Pharaoh in, in Exodus chapter 1, ordered all newborn Jewish sons to be murdered by drowning. But what happened in Exodus chapter 14 and 15 with the uh, Egyptian army at the Red Sea? The sons of the Egyptians were drowned. You get what you sow. And not only do you get what you sow, but you get more than you sow. You reap in a different season. And you reap or you get in proportion to what you sow. For 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, But this I say, <clears throat> he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, but he that uh, which soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. One of the things I learned from Mike this year in his garden is last year he reaped abundantly. And he, or no, he sowed abundantly and he reaped abundantly to the point he he couldn't give it away. 
But this year, did you sow near as much as you did last year? No, he learned his lesson. Do you still have a lot of tomatoes? He will. <laughs> tomatoes are one of those things that just grow and grow and grow and grow. <clears throat> Layman Strauss wrote this. A man is a fool who thinks that he can break God's law and escape the consequences. I, I love that quote. I, I came across this, this quote recently and I, I thought, wow. Let, let me read it to you again so you can kind of get the whole impact of this quote. A man is a fool who thinks that he can break God's law and escape with the consequences. In other words, you're going to reap what you sow. All Haman's wealth and all of his glory could not rescue him from a cruel, brutal death. I need to kind of wind up here, so I'm not going to... I have several more verses I'm going to use, but I'm, I need to wind up here. What can we learn from this very important passage, if you would, that, that where God kind of makes everything clear? Number one, don't, don't make the mistake that Haman made and misunderstanding the long-suffering of God. God loves you. God loves you. And He is going to give each and every one of us as many chances as He can. Don't confuse that with a lack of discipline because you will eventually get what you sow. The second thing I want to talk about very quickly, and that is this. <clears throat> what kind of seeds are you sowing in your life? What kind of seeds? I, I, I cannot answer that question. I can, I, I can answer the question from for me. But what kind of seeds are you sowing in your life? Are you seeing are you sowing seeds of patience of of anger of hate of of love I mean we could go on and on and on and and you're going to reap what you sow There are times because we are human and we live with humans that we go through our life and, and you could be sitting there thinking, wait a minute, I, I, I have made a practice of sowing love in my life. But to be perfectly honest, Pastor, I haven't always reaped love. There have been, people have been mean and nasty to me and they've done things to me and so on and so forth. Well, I'm here to tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Mike answer this, 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 this principle to you for you. Okay, all right. <clears throat> Other than corn and tomatoes and peppers and all that, what else do you have in your garden? Washer. No, 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 no. Other than the vegetables, weeds. weeds. <laughs> you got a lot of those, don't you? <laughs> okay. 
you know what? We can sow, and the promise of God is we will, we will eventually be able to reap what we sow. But I'm here to tell you the weeds are growing too. And if we allow the weeds to choke out, then we're going to lose the fight. If Mike, if Mike, when, when he planted all this stuff and he went on vacation, I thought, man, you're an idiot. You're going to come back and it's going to be all weeds. What have you got, like, like two weeks? Yeah, two and a half weeks. I thought, man, they're coming back to a mess. Unfortunately, it wasn't too bad. But the reality is they could have come back and the weeds could have choked out everything that they had sown. Isn't that true? See, we need to be very, very careful not only do we sow, but we also need to be careful cutting down the sin in our lives. Cutting out the weeds. We call that repentance. First John 1 John 1.9, it's not, it's not on, the, on the slide for you, but I'll, I'll, I'll quote it for you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to do the weeding in our lives as well. Because God does not play with sin. Eventually, you're going to reap what you sow. Let's pray.